Blog Talk Radio. Pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. I hope there wasn't a little gap of silence at the beginning. I had a teeny bit of technical difficulty getting on today, so if you had to listen to a little bit of silence there and thought there might not be a show, I apologize for that. All right, let's get going. We are continuing our series, Selecting Therapy Activities for Toddlers, and today we are on part four. We're all the way up to vocabulary building activities. Now, we started this show a few weeks ago and we're looking at how we can make our efforts with children better. And one of the things that we need to be sure that we're doing is match our activities to a child's developmental level and his strengths, meaning what he's good at and what he likes. Those factors are incredibly important when we are planning therapy activities for late-talking toddlers and preschoolers. And so that's what this entire series has been about. And as I always say when we're in the middle of a series, if you are just kind of jumping in mid-course here, (laughs) it may not be as beneficial to you to begin here. You may need to slide back and listen to, I believe it's show 295. We're actually on show 298. So you may want to go back and get some background. And we are marching through these categories. And remember, we started with talking about how to determine a child's developmental level. And then we talked about regulation and how calm and willing to participate a child is and some things that we can do to help that move along. We talked a lot about considering a child's preferences and capitalizing on those interests. And then we started talking about the specific activities. And so in show 296, we talked a lot about movement activities and social games, which are two categories of play that are applicable and appropriate for nearly every young child. Who doesn't like to move when you're two or three? Most of our little friends revel in getting activity. So again, movement activities are really, really critical. And so even if we have a kid who is developmentally ready for the things that we're going to talk about today, always know that when you are losing that child's attention, pop back to a movement activity. Or the next category is social game. Remember that show where we talked about how much fun social games are for children and how they really learn through repetition and through routine. And so I want to always be sure that even as we're talking about children who are developmentally moving along and who are cognitively closer to their uh, chronological age or closer to on track, on target cognitively, you still need to consider the things that you can do when it seems that you are not engaging them as um, well as you would like to be able to do that. So I just kind of wanted to mention that. Now, we talked about movement activities, social games. The next category, just cause and effect play, and we spent an entire show almost last time 
talking about some fabulous cause and effect toys and how we would use those and the language strategies that we would use. And then we moved on to early sit-down activities. And remember in that category, that's for children who are really ready to sit down and play with you and, and stay with you longer. And so today's topic is just an extension or a continuation or a maturation of that process. Now we're really getting to the point that children are developmentally ready to stay with us. I, I say in the five to ten minute range, uh, but it could be longer and you may have some kids who cognitively are here and who are ready for this kind of uh, what I think about as true speech therapy because again we're really focusing on helping children improve their receptive and expressive skills with this kind of activity. And so kids, again, here uh, may be uh, certainly more likely to do that, but we still may have some little friends who are by nature pretty busy. And so you may have some kids that aren't, who are cognitively ready for these kinds of activities, but still from a regulatory standpoint, they, they need to move. They still need something to do. So there are a couple of things even within this category that we'll be talking about today where I'm going to say, hey, if you have a kid who needs to move, this is still a great vocabulary building activity or still a great toy to use. And I'll be telling you how to incorporate movement for those uh, that little subset of friends that we have in that category. All right, so uh, let's talk about specific language strategies that we're going to be using here and they will be uh, relative to all of the different toys that we'll talk about. But I want to be sure that we are spending some time talking about, again, the strategies and how to implement these strategies and so that it's not all about the toys. I don't want to leave you with that impression because here's the truth. You can work on language with any toy. <laughs> you can work on language with any daily routine. So the toys in and of themselves are not the magic bullet. The strategies are really what will make you successful. But I have found over and over and over again in my 23, 24-year career now that parents and therapists alike really gravitate toward hearing, what kind of toy should I use for that? What can I do with this toy? What will make this goal or this activity easier or more enjoyable for this child? And so I don't want to give you the impression that it's the toy that's the important part. I want to make sure that you know what you're doing with all of the toys. So, And we talked about this a little bit on the last show, 297, when we were talking about early sit-down activities. But as I was thinking about the show and reading through that summary as I posted uh, the written summary, I just started thinking, you know, in the next show, I probably need to double down a little bit on those specific strategies to be sure that everyone that we're all on the same page and that you understand that it really isn't the toy. It's what you do with the toy. So let's spend some time here at the beginning talking about these specific strategies. So vocabulary building activities, just like the previous two, well, the previous four categories with um, early sit-down activities, cause and effect toys, social games, and movement activities, you know, we're always considering how a child understands words and how he uses words. So that's kind of our premise, our receptive and our expressive ideas. 
But today, when we're really looking at toys, we almost can be a little more hyper-focused on the language piece because we've gotten children to the point developmentally, again, where they can stay with us, and it's much more likely that they are ready to learn how to how what words mean and how to talk and use those words to communicate. So let's begin with receptive language. And you know, somebody years ago said, you know, you, you this is just this is the impact that you are really making on the field of early intervention and the field of pediatric speech pathology for toddlers and preschoolers because nobody talks about receptive language like you. And that just probably is a the best compliment I've ever received, and it's the one I think about <laughs> a lot with receptive language. And, guys, it is hard to find information and ideas that really, really work for receptive language. A lot of times experts and professionals, particularly those outside of the field of speech pathology, will, will say, well, just talk to your kid and he's going to understand. For a child with a significant receptive language delay or disorder, Mm, that's that's not always good enough. <laughs> we have to be super specific with our tweaks that we use as we are talking to children so that we can be sure that we are cueing them and that we are really laying the foundation for for all, uh, you know, even expressive language development. Children cannot really be expected to talk and use a word until they understand that word, until they own that word. And so that's how important working on receptive language is. And so remember here, with receptive language, we're really focused on how a child understands. So sometimes we lose sight of that when we're working with a child because we get hyper-focused on making sure that he says the word, and that's our indicator that he's understood it. But we all know if you have worked in this field for any length of time, you will have children who just because they say the word, uh, they don't necessarily understand the word. And let's just say right here that that's a big red flag for high-functioning autism. It's a big red flag for children who are essentially echolalic, meaning they can talk, they can repeat the word, they can, you know, if you want to use the word parrot, I, I don't like that word, but a lot of parents will say that. Uh, they'll say he, he parrots, he, he just copies what I say, he echoes, hence the word echolalia. But he re, you know, I'm starting to think he really doesn't even know what that word means. And so just because a kid says it doesn't mean that he necessarily understands it. Now, with typically developing children and children who are closer to that typically develop, developing pattern, we do know that they understand words before they use words. And that's, that's kind of the model uh, that I subscribe to unless we know that a child has auditory processing issues or again, something like autism, which again, the true root of that is an auditory processing issue. That that's a red that that's coexists. That's part of autism for lots of children. And so we need to again make sure that we are paying enough attention to receptive language, particularly at this stage when we have children here at this developmental level. Because of that, because of that problem with some children may be able to say it and then we are kind of fooled into thinking that they understand the word and then and the problem of over depending on expressive language development as a signal or as as again as an indicator that a child understands the word because of that 
we want to be sure here when we're really focused on receptive language that we don't require or even ask a child to talk. When our focus for the activity is comprehension, receptive language, I'm going to make sure he understands what, what these words mean. I have found that it is much better to just really drop all expectations of hearing a child say the word. And why is that? Because many, many, many times children with receptive delays can't do both. They cannot learn to understand what you are saying and say something themselves at the same time. It's too much. We're overloading their little systems. So when that happens, when we are having that unrealistic expectation and we're and, and we're introducing a whole bunch of new words and and we're doing that again in a fun way for toddlers, which means that we're going kind of fast and we're real upbeat. When we also layer that expectation of talking on there, a lot of kids fall apart. And so we'll see a lot of undesirable results. So let's just talk about that for a minute. We can have some, uh, we'll observe some negative reactions. And these are always signs of overstimulation, meaning that it's too much for the kid and his little system is overloaded and there's just no way that he is going to be able to do all of the things that you're asking him to do. And so, again, if we're asking him to talk and understand and play with a toy and participate with us, include us in that activity, that's a lot. And so we have to really look for these signs of overstimulation, these signs that it's too much. Now, parents may relate to this better if we put it in terms of uh, layman's terms. So if we use terms like, oh, you know, we've just kicked in his fight or flight reaction. And listen, guys, there's one more component of that. It really now we should think about it as fight, flight, or freeze. And so those are three reactions, three negative adverse responses that we can hear or see and observe in children when they are overstimulated. So let's talk about what these things might be. And again, if you're a therapist, I'm reviewing this with you. I know that you know all this from an academic perspective, but here's what happens. Sometimes all of that great knowledge stays right there in your own mind, <laughs> and you do not know how to share it with parents in a way that they understand. You might say things like, oh, you know, his regulation is just off today, or oh, we've overstimulated him. And a parent might sort of get it, but if you go on and explain it in this way, in these everyday terms, it will make a lot more sense to parents. They'll understand where their kid is coming from. They'll get a better uh, starting point themselves for how can I more effectively address this, and then they won't mislabel anything that's going on with the child. Sometimes these things that we're going to talk about, fight, flight, or freeze, are occurring, and a parent just thinks it's bad behavior. And so they go right into trying to discipline their child or trying to scold them in some way when really if they saw the core problem, they would probably, as a parent, respond differently. And again, as a therapist, that's our job to help them understand that. Now, if you're a parent listening to this program, you may have noticed some of these responses in your child and just thought, again, oh boy, he's being bad, or he's too, of course he's going to do this. And that's all maybe true as well. 
but I want to give you a different perspective so that you can really, really analyze what's going on and so that you can address it more effectively, particularly if the things that you have tried have not worked. So let's look at what it, these negative reactions, what it might look like when a child the fight part of that, remember we're doing fight, flight, or freeze. So what would the fight part of that reaction look like? He might resist. He might just kind of refuse to do what you've asked him to do and be a little bit aggressive about it. He might lash out at you. <laughs> so you might get a kid who hits you or bites you or scratches you or pulls your hair or kicks and wants to get away. That's his little fight instinct there. And again, what does it mean? It means overstimulation it doesn't mean that he's you know a serial killer or anything like that and that he's super aggressive it means that his probably that his little system is just overwhelmed and so we need to recognize that and and again not use our disciplinary strategies I mean again if a child is hitting and scratching and biting you don't want to let that go and you'll need to do some implement some strategies but remember that the core problem here is that he's overstimulated so what does that mean that means you've got to change his input you've got to change the environment so that he doesn't feel that way and so that he's not apt to lapse into that fight part of that all right so we did the fight part let's talk about the next part flight what does it mean what does it look like when a kid when when he's overstimulated and he goes into flight what does it mean it means that he leaves. He tries to get away from you. Now, this may look like inattention, and it could be if a kid doesn't like a toy. It could just be, you know, hey, that's not good enough for me. I do not want to direct my efforts toward playing with that. I want to find something else. It could be that, but sometimes it really is that we've overstimulated them, and they just can't do it anymore. A lot of kids will even do things like uh, cover their eyes or put their hands over their ears or rub their faces, or even if they're not running away from you, they're turning away or looking away. So look for those subtle signs that that can tell you, gosh, you know, I've, I've overdone it here. I'm expecting too much. It could be that I'm pushing him to say something when I really should focus on just him showing me that he understands and I'm going to talk to you about some strategies for that so if you're thinking hmm, I'm not really sure what she's talking about here we'll get there but just looking for those subtle signs and paying attention to what you can do to help the child regulate and be able to attend now it's not always put the toy up and do something else but sometimes that's that's something you could do. If the toy is too hard, you can move back to something that's a little less complex. If you are talking too much, you may be overstimulating him with your words. You're saying too many words. You're talking too fast. Boy, am I guilty of that all the time. Uh, you're over-talking. You know, that includes both of those pieces. It could be that, again, you're just asking him to do things that are just too complicated, even receptively doesn't understand many of the new words yet that you're trying to teach him so you know then that you need to reduce your target size and by that I mean reduce you know if you have a puzzle that you have nine pieces there and all nine words are pretty darn new you may only need to focus on three of those pieces rather than all nine so there are lots of things you can do and again that's why we're discussing this it's not always about fixing the child and as I always say it is so much easier to modify what you're doing rather than address something with the child so again that's why we're talking about this piece here so what we need to do when we feel like a kid 
is in fight or flight is, you know, what can I do to make this activity more comfortable for him? How can I make it easier for him to learn in this situation? And so anytime we see fight or flight, we know we've got to pull it back. We've got to change what we're doing to make it more likely that a child will stay with us and learn from us. All right, this last part, freeze, fight, flight, or freeze. Now, if you, you may not have learned the freeze part, but I bet you've seen it. <laughs> I bet you have seen children who just shut down when you were working with them. So be super, super careful. Sometimes um, it will, let me just say it this way. Sometimes it'll look like a kid is shut down or a therapist or a parent who's working with a kid will think that a kid is shut down because he's not looking at them. And again, this kind of goes back to inattention. But sometimes eye contact is incredibly difficult. It's just as difficult, it's just as difficult for children when they are learning something new as talking would be. And especially our little friends who have red flags for autism and other social kinds of issues. So when we're, again, we're asking them to understand, learn to understand all these new words, and we're saying, look at me, and we're saying, and say the word, and we're saying, and play with a toy, it's just too much. So that freeze piece, when it just looks like a kid is immobilized or paralyzed and doesn't know how to respond, that's also a sign of overstimulation. And so you know, hey, I better change what I'm doing here so that I make it more likely for him to participate. Now, the eye contact thing, remember, when we're working on eye contact, and we've done, I did an entire show earlier this year when we were talking about the 11 skills that toddlers must master before words emerge. Remember, we did a whole show on eye contact. And remember, the big takeaway message from there was, you have to make yourself fun enough to look at <laughs> for a kid to want to give you attention in that way so he's got to he's you've got to make your face real fun and you've got to make your voice interesting enough for him to turn his little face toward you and want to look at you but again be careful about that eye contact piece eye contact is so important and it's a big component of communication and reciprocal interaction but for some children, particularly those with receptive language and particularly issues, and particularly for those who have other red flags for autism, you can't always expect them to, to combine all of these skills at the same time when the material or the information that you're teaching, the vocabulary, is all new. So that's my point here. Don't be so concerned or obsessed with eye contact that you – prevent the child from learning what the word really means. And so that's what we're talking about here with receptive language. Now, the best ways to address and treat receptive language delays or disorders with these kinds of toys is to ask the child to do something with the toy. So a really simple direction. So no matter what toy that you're using, when you're working on receptive language, you need to give a child some things to do. So it might be, you know, as we're going to talk about the toys today, uh, let's say that we're playing with Mr. Potato Head, which is a fantastic vocabulary building activity because we have lots of target words to talk about. So with the Mr. Potato Head, you might say, get the shoes, let's get the shoes. And then you'll have the child find the shoes. And that that's your indicator. That's your um, sign that he's understood what you've said. He's performed 
the direction. He's followed the command. So that's how we know. You know, before when I said a lot of times we'll use the expressive part, just that if he says it, he understands it. But, guys, we've got to really look at that receptive piece first. So that that's what we want to do here when we're really focused on receptive language is make sure that we're giving simple directions and that he's following those simple directions. The other kind of uh, familiar command that we would do here is just after we've asked him to get it, get something or show us some component of the toy, then the next natural receptive language focus would be that you ask him to do something with that. So let's use our Mr. Potato Head example. If we've said, where are his shoes? Let's get some shoes. And then he gets the shoes. And then what would your next thing be? It would be put them on or, you know, put shoes on or push shoes in or however you like to say it. And so that's the next little component. And again, that's working on receptive language. He's following directions. He's shown you, hey, I understand the word shoes. Hey, I understand put it on or push or whatever, you know, put put it in if you're pointing out where the little hole is and the bottom of the potato head for the shoes to go, where they should go. You're asking him to do those things, and he's following those directions. That's working on receptive language. You know, another uh, what I call best time to work on receptive language is during cleanup time. So anytime that you're cleaning up an activity with a child, you're, you're moving on to something else. Gosh, do not waste the opportunity to work on receptive language. Don't just throw it all in your box or the bag or the toy box or move on to a new part of the room where you can play something else. Really use this time to help a child learn what these words really, really mean. And it's such a good time for you as the adult, whether you're a parent or a therapist, to be able to really assess what a child understands. So if you have a little container there, you'll be able to say things like, unless you use Mr. Potato Head for an example again, you'll say, you know, oh, it's time to clean up. Let's clean up potato heads. Here we go. You know, get the hat. And he'll get the hat and then put it in your box. Or, you know, I use two and a half gallon Ziploc bag. <laughs> to do that and so he you know he'll put the hat in and then you'll say where are his glasses and if he's not doing it what should you do you should cue him you know so you'll tell him show him help him so you'll you've told him you know where are the glasses you've asked him that if he's still not getting it you should show him so you'll point to those glasses you'll or you'll either take all the other pieces away and maybe leave the glasses and a couple of other little things so you're reducing your set so it's not quite so hard and then if he still doesn't get the glasses you should what help him reach your hand down and grab his little hand and help him pick up those glasses and then physically help him put them in your bag or container however you're cleaning up and that's how we work on receptive language during cleanup time if you've never seen that technique my DVD teach me to listen and obey two and teach me to listen and obey one those DVDs are perfect for showing you lots and lots and lots and lots of examples of me working with children who were um, on my caseload at the time, all kinds of children at all developmental levels and working on these receptive language um, 
tasks or milestones. So get yourself a copy of that DVD. You know, it's kind of an art learning how to effectively work um, on receptive language with children. And if you have, if you don't feel like you're great at that and that you really own that piece, get those DVDs because that will help you tremendously. You know, we've talked about it here, but sometimes seeing the examples are even more effective, especially if you are a visual learner. So it will tremendously help you. I wanted to mention that. Okay, so we've talked about the best ideas for working on receptive language with the kinds of toys that we're going to discuss. And here's the truth. You can use those strategies even with the toys that we've discussed in previous shows. So your early sit-down activities that we talked about on the last show or cause and effect toys. You can certainly use the receptive language strategies that we just discussed even within the context of those toys. But here for these toys, because there are so many different options for new words, uh, it's even more effective here. All right, let's review uh, the expressive language strategies. And again, we've talked about these in previous shows, and I want to just quickly note the kinds of uh, expressive language strategies that you should be using with children who are in this early talker phase. And remember here, expressive language strategies, this means really what the adult should say in order to get from the child what you want him to say. Did that make sense to you? <laughs> so this is what you should say to get the kid to say what you want him to say. <laughs> right? All right. So expressive strategies. So first, we should be sure that we're using a lot of play sounds and exclamatory words. Words like uh-oh and wow and wee and boo. And other sound effects like animal sounds like, you know, woof, 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 or meow, meow, meow. Or even vehicle noises like beep, 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 or vroom, vroom, or you know, whatever your car noises are. Why do we do that? Why is that important? Well, it's fun. And the kid is more likely to pay attention to you when you're using some novel kinds of expressions like that. A lot of those things, too, are easier for children to say. So if you have a kid who's not really developmentally ready to pop out words yet, so many times these little sound effect kinds of words, he is ready to do that. And if you're an SLP or another kind of developmental therapist, you probably have seen that happen a lot on your caseload where you get a kid and mom says he's not talking at all, but then you realize, man, he's got some animal sounds. You know, mom didn't mention that. Well, mom didn't know to mention that. She didn't count that as a real word. So play sounds and exclamatory words are super, super important and a big part of keeping a child's attention and those early attempts uh, with expressive language. The next little phase that we would uh, think about any kind of word that's a routine, a little verbal routine. So words like ready, set, go, and one, two, three. And you may have your own little verbal routines where you're playing with a toy. And, you know, one of my favorites is anytime a, a toy is climbing. So let's say that we're playing with uh, a toy that we're going to talk about today, my Topamino block set. The anytime I have my little animals are climbing up the blocks, I say up, 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 and then if I make them jump, I say you know one, two, three, jump down. That's a verbal routine, and we repeat it over and over and over. And kids like the predictability and the repetitiveness, and and they begin to expect what happens. And so that's a fantastic strategy because they know the word that should come next, and so they're able to fill in the blank 
so to speak. So verbal routines are really, really important for this kind of certainly will move to familiar single words. And essentially that's what you were doing back in the recept your receptive language strategies, teaching children to understand new words. Now we all are pretty good at helping children understand nouns or the label, the name of whatever the toy is, but don't forget other kinds of words, other categories like location words or your prepositions and things that children should be learning, you know, in, out, up, down, off, on, early verbs like go and push um, and run and sleep and eat, all of those really familiar words. We can work on those kinds of important functional words in the context of these vocabulary uh, building activities. You may also have some of those kind of all-purpose words like more and please and all done. Those kinds of words are really, really important too. And we can certainly teach those here at this level. Then some children who are at the vocabulary building stage of play are ready to move on to those short Phrases. So that would be simple two-word combinations like, you know, ba-ba ball, you know, with the ball toys that we're talking about, or even a request like more please. Let me just say, <laughs> again, I always kind of beat this drum too. Children are not developmentally ready to combine words into phrases until they have a core vocabulary of between 35 and 50 words and I typically wait till about that 50 word mark before I start to expect children to be able to imitate and use simple phrases. Certainly another part of this step here, part of this process would be holistic phrases. So phrases like I got it, I did it, or way to go, or there it is. Those kinds of words that seem to always go together and a lot of our little friends, especially our little friends on the spectrum, are really inclined to pick up those familiar phrases that you use all the time. So those are our expressive strategies. Now, if you need some more help in outlining that progression of how we work on words and in what order, building verb presentation in toddlers is a fantastic resource for you. That's in a therapy manual form. So if you are a reader and that's how you like to learn, get the book because it will walk you through all of those. There are actually eight levels. And there's some things that we didn't talk about uh, that actually come before that, but it's a super, super resource. Now, if you are a therapist and you're, you're kind of new to early intervention or you want just a more, um, a simpler, way or a more sequential way to be sure that you are really, really, really addressing expressive language in a very systematic way to be sure that you're not missing anything with children or if you have kids on your case so that you just feel like progress is all over the place, that you're not, when a kid starts to talk, you're, you're just happy as we all are, but you're still not quite sure how it happened. <laughs> Get yourself a copy of my course, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, because it will walk you through all of those levels or all of the, the, the strategies that we just talked about. And again, it's going to teach you why you're doing what you're doing and how to really use that knowledge to make yourself as effective as you can be. All right, so now that we specific and talk about toys that are really, really super here for vocabulary building activities. Now remember I've already said all of these toys have more pieces. So there are more target words. 
So more for you to talk about and teach a child, not only to say, but to understand. And so higher level toys here than we've previously discussed in this series. And let's just talk about how to use these kinds of toys. Now remember, you can go to my website, teachmetotalk.com, and scroll down about uh, just scroll down the page until you get to a bar that's kind of middle of the page and it will it says listen to my podcast and so the most recent show is always right there so click that category or click that banner right there and it will take you to the written post about the show and in the written post for this series of shows, so this week, number 298, and then the previous shows, 297 and 296, I have linked the specific toys that are fantastic for addressing the kinds of play that we're talking about here. And so you'll not only have the right, an idea of what the right kind of toy is, uh, you know, we're talking about in the show how to use it, but you've got the written summary again. You can see it, so you're sure about what to buy, and the, the links are there just for your convenience if you don't have time to get out and really do a lot of shopping, and if you are as addicted to online shopping on Amazon as I am, <laughs> the the toys are right for you. All right, so the first category here would be using puzzles, wooden puzzles. Now, some kids hate puzzles, and if that's the kind of kid that you're working with, that's okay. It is, remember what we said before, that you can teach language anytime, anywhere, using any material. So if you have a kid who doesn't like these things, by all means, do not pressure him or force him to do it. Just kind of get him ready and, and work on other things. Play with what he does like. That would be much more effective than trying to be a dictator about what <laughs> kinds of things he has to do. Remember how we talked about how important it is that you pay attention to what he likes and what he's good at? So if he's not great at puzzles, no big deal. What you might do is just kind of introduce them uh, sporadically. So you may not play with a puzzle every time you work with a kid. And if there's a puzzle that has six pieces, you may, and he's just done with it after two, that's okay. Put it up. Move on. Uh, and just really think about, progression in okay this week he can only do two pieces but in two or three weeks he did four pieces and two months from now he's doing all six pieces that's progress so don't don't be a stickler and drive a kid away from you because you're so insistent on you must complete all the pieces before we move on don't do that that's a power struggle and that'll drive a kid away from you so again if you have a kid who likes puzzles and who's ready it's fantastic uh, to use a puzzle here for vocabulary building because you are introducing lots and lots of new words. So I like puzzles, again, for the receptive language piece. And remember what we said we were going to do. We'll ask a kid for receptive language to follow some directions. And so the natural activity here would be to have him select the piece that you say. So let's say that you're playing with a puzzle that has farm animals. So you would say, you may have all of the pieces out on the floor, which I rarely do, by the way, but parents do it a lot at home. So you may have all the pieces set aside, kind of dumped out, and so you would say, get the dog, or where's the cow? And that's your receptive language piece. So you're gonna have him pick it, you know, after you've said that, 
He picks it up and he puts it in the puzzle. If he doesn't put it in the puzzle, what should you do? You should cue him. So first you should point or in some way show him what to do. And then if he doesn't, still doesn't get it, what would you do? You would help him. So he would take his little hand and help him pick it up and put it in the puzzle. All right? So that's your receptive language activity here with puzzles. And so you would do that. If, you, if having all the pieces on the floor is too much for a kid, he just can't do it, too, too many options, and this is what I do all the time. I just hold two pieces, and I'll say, you know, I might have a cow and a horse, and I'll say, get the horse. Where's the horse? You know, and you're making yourself fun. You're saying, nay, horsey, horsey, get the horse. And so he reaches out and gets it. If he doesn't do it, you can use a technique called airless learning or airless teaching where you are putting the horse closer to him <laughs> to help him be more likely to pick the right one. And you don't want him to make mistakes and pick the cow because you would have to say, no, that's not the horse, that's the cow. And you don't really want to say no too often because that, again, drives kids away. So you help him pick the horse and then you get the horse in. So that would be a way that you could work on receptive language with puzzles. There's so many options for puzzles, so look around for those. I mean, I call those speech therapy gold because it's lots of children just love them. Now, remember what I said before about movement. If you have a kid who needs a lot of movement, but he still is ready for this vocabulary building activity, puzzles are a great toy to use when a kid needs to move. And I do this all the time, and this is in uh, the DVD, Teach Me to Listen and Obey 2, where I have the puzzle on pieces on one side of the room and a puzzle across the room where the kid is picking the piece with me so we're either, if it's working on receptive language, we're doing the strategies that I just talked about where I'm saying, you know, get the duck. And so he picks the duck and then he runs across the room and puts it in the puzzle and then he runs back to you to get the next piece. Fun, fun toy. I've, you know, puzzle races, that's what I call that. I've used that strategy for years. It is so effective. It works as well now. 23, 24 years later, <laughs> as it did the very first time I did it. So it's a, it's a strategy and a game that toddlers love, and it's timeless. So that's certainly something that you can use. You can certainly do your expressive strategies with puzzles as well. You're asking a child, you're picking, you know, you're having them pick a piece from your box or your bag, and you're, you, he'll get it, get the piece, and you'll say, ooh, what's that? What's that? And then he tells you what it is. If he doesn't respond, of course, you would model what he should say. So you'll, if you're doing a vehicle puzzle, you would say, oh, car, you know, and if he's at the point where he can imitate you, by all means, have him say car before he gets the piece. If he's not really there yet, you'll just stick with modeling, you know, car, and you may even back it on down to where you're saying, you know, what's a car say? You know, what's a car sound like? And so you want him to imitate you as you model your car sound, whether that's your or beep, beep, or whatever, all right? So that, that's what we do with puzzles. Remember that we're also, when we target play, we're really working on cognition. And so, again, following directions, learning what things are, planning, playing with the toy appropriately. But for puzzles, there's an added component with fine motor skills and visual perception. So what does that mean? Fine motor, if you're a parent, that would mean that he's using his little hands. So he's able to get the piece, hold it by the little knob, if it has one, or the jumbo knob, and appropriately 
turn his little hand to make that piece fit. So that's the fine motor piece. What's visual perception? It's the matching piece, the matching component, which again is a cognitive skill. He sees the the puzzle piece of you know whatever you're using. The let's say you have a food puzzle. He sees the banana, and he looks down and he has to find the banana slot where the banana goes. That's visual perception. He has to match the the piece of the puzzle correctly to the slot that it fits in. Now, a lot of kids will use some trial and error here, and that's fine. That's problem solving. Where there's, he, he might put the banana in the apple piece, and he realizes that doesn't fit, and then he'll put it in the piece for the orange, and he realizes, oh, that's not it either. If a kid is struggling, cover up the pieces, the slots where the puzzle is, piece is not supposed to go so that he is more likely to get it in the right slot. So that, again, that's you adapting and modifying that activity and making that easier for him. For kids who need a little bump up with puzzles, we talked about the movement game, but you might also try puzzles that are a little bit more complicated. You could also try something like a fishing puzzle or a, a, I have a butterfly or insect puzzle too that has a little um, pole there with a magnet. So the end of the string has a magnet, so the kid essentially is catching the puzzle piece. So the magnet on the puzzle piece will attach to the pole there, and kids think that's real fun. And it is good fine motor practice, so it's another way to keep a kid with you if he seems to need something to hold his interest a little bit. Second kind of toy here, we've already talked about this a little bit when I gave you the example with potato heads. It's a classic toy. I bet if you remember back when you were little, even if you're 50 like me, <laughs> you probably played with potato heads. It's just been around forever. So there are a variety of sets. You can go really, really basic and cheap to fancier sets that, are, of course, are a little bit more expensive but have lots and lots of pieces. I do lots of receptive language work that we've already talked about with uh, learning body parts with Mr. Potato Head. And we can certainly, you know, talk about the body part and point out the body part on potato head and then point out the body part on the child and point out the body part on me and on mom. So it's a nice extension of that activity as well. I did a really um, popular therapy tip of the week video about using Mr. Potato Head several years ago, and I've linked that in the written post about this podcast at teachmetotalk.com if you've not seen that yet. It'll give you some great ideas and some additional options for using Mr. Potato Heads in play. Now, let's move on to the next toy. It's I'm obsessed with this toy. I got it several years ago, but I just love it, love it, love it. It's Topamino Blocks. Every time I say Topamino, I, I always kind of get a little catch in my stomach because I feel like, gee, I hope I just pronounced that correctly. And if if I nobody's ever told me that I'm not saying it correctly, but if I am wrong about that, please forgive me. But I love this little set of blocks. Of course they're graduated, meaning they have bigger blocks and they go to smaller. And then there are there's a darling little set of plastic animals that accompany uh, the blocks. And so you can do lots and lots of things with that. Here we're talking about vocabulary building. We haven't really moved on to pretend play, which is a, a couple of, it's a bump up developmentally. But here kids are just learning the name of the animal and then all those functional words that we talked about before, you know, in and out, you know, we knock the blocks down, we hide the animals, the animals sleep. 
oh gosh, just all kinds of vocabulary options here. So super, super versatile set of blocks. You can teach so many different concepts with this one. Uh, and again, it's something that I use all the time. I pair this toy a lot of times with something like a movement activity. So a lot of times, a kid, if a kid needs to move, I, ju I just did this last year with a little friend of mine who is four and on the spectrum. He liked to slide, and we wanted to add one more component to his sliding activity. So it's a little more language-based. And honestly, at this point, I was just thinking about sequencing and learning how to do more than one thing at a time. But I would stack these topamino blocks up, and he would – watch me so good joint attention watch me do that because I would count or either say you know up 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 as I'm building them and then he would slide down and slide into the blocks and knock them over so just so many fun things that you can do with uh, this kind of set and lots and lots of options for teaching both receptive and expressive language and then I just gave you an example of <laughs> Extending that and, you know, putting it in the context of a movement activity and so that a child is sequencing, you know, adding one more step, one more step, one more step. That extends attention. It helps with motor planning. Um, it helps with task completion, meaning that, you know, sliding is not the only thing that we're doing. Now we've added one more part and we have to knock the blocks down before we can run back around and take another turn on the slide. So, so many things that you can teach with that. The next toy is, again, a winner. I've had it maybe for, gosh, five or six years, and it is still going strong. It's a garage with keys. I think that it's made by, I don't even remember, Batat, B-A-T-T-A-T. -T -T. I may be saying that incorrectly as well. But it's a little garage that uh, there are three doors, and there are three cars, and there are keys that unlock the door. And the keys go on top, and the the keys are color coded. So I've already, if you're a therapist, your wheels are already spinning in your brain about all of the things that you can teach and work on with this activity. So it is such an attention holder for children, and they will try and try and try to get the right key in the right slot. So a ton of cognitive development going on there with problem solving and lots of fine motor practice. So, so many different options. If you have a kid who loves cars and you're sick to death of playing with Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars or uh, whatever racetrack he has, this is a nice extension. You know, if you have a kid that that's his little obsession with cars, he only likes that, but you want to get him to move on to expand what he will play with and attend to. Super, super way to do it. Another way that I've used this toy is just to put, and this is true for the next toy too, Animal Hospital. It looks like a little house, but again, same kind of premise because it has doors and keys. And so you don't have to always stick with the toys that are with the set. You can put all kinds of things in this little house or in the garage and have a kid open the door with the key and then um, find whatever's in there. And again, remember, you could be working on receptive things, learning to understand new words, and lots and lots of options for expressive work. Other things that I do is I'll try to hide the keys, and the kid has to find the keys and then go back and open the door. Toddlers love that kind of hide-and-seek game. So, And you can give some directions. You can say, oh, it's under the chair. And then if he's really struggled with the receptive language, you know, that's that's going to be hard. He's got that preposition there and then the noun and, you you know, that's a big 
struggling uh, point, a big choke point for a lot of kids in following directions is they don't understand the vocabulary. So it's a nice way to work on those things while you're having fun. So I love both of those options for uh, kids at this developmental level. The next toy here is a toy microwave. And again, this is on my DVD, Teach Me to Listen and Obey 2. Kids love it. I've had a toy microwave now, I bet, for, gosh, 10 or 12 years. They've been out for a long time. The microwaves really uh, look like they work <laughs> because you put the food in, it turns in a little circle on the um, the circle on the round thing. I'm having a word. There's probably a better word for that, but that's I have a toddler vocabulary. Uh, so the piece that spins in the middle and the door, you know, when you close the door, you push the buttons, the light comes on, the food spins, the timer counts down. So it's very realistic. Gosh, our little friends that are visual who really like to watch lights and toys that spin or go around and around will love this toy. And even if you can't get their attention with other kinds of toys, this toy has enough mm for them <laughs> so that they want to stay with you and pay attention and play. Uh, I love teaching the concept of wait with this toy uh, where I hold the door and I'm saying wait, 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 so that we're waiting on the until the microwave beeps and the food is ready. So it's a super one for kids who have culty with impulse control and with not just being able to sit back and watch the process. Uh, and so just just think about that and think about how important that is that you're teaching that concept and you're not being super mean about it. You're just using yourself as a tool there, not allowing them to open the door yet while you're keeping it fun and light and you're saying, oh, we have to wait for the beep, wait for the beep. Oh, where's the beep? Listen, listen, listen. You know, and then you'll hear the beep and can open the door there. The toy microwave usually will come with a few little pieces of food, but I'll tell you, I've made this super fun by adding uh, Velcro food sets. So these are foods like there's in the set that I have pictured in the post, there's a banana, and it looks like there's some other kinds of fruit there. Um, my little set has other things like uh, bread or toast that you can cut or eggs. And so think about, again, how functional that is. So foods that a child might eat. If you have foods that – if you have a picky eater and a kid doesn't accept very many foods, this is a great strategy for familiarizing that child with food and teaching him how to play with food and the, the kind of the step of normalizing his response to food. You may do better to start with some plastic foods and really let him play with those kinds of things and handle them and talk about them and really, really get comfortable with them. So that's a really nice addition. And all two- and three-year-olds and one-year-olds get a little bit obsessed with the Velcro food. You can either pull it apart, which a lot of kids like to do, and if they're still under two, it's probably a good idea to – Kind of stick with that but there's a plastic knife that comes with the velcro set and it, it i have never met a kid who did not get a charge out of cutting the velcro food in half so he has to put the little knife in the slot and then cut it and they just think that is hysterical and they want to do that over and over and over again so here's the thing if you have a kid even that you're working on with articulation 
for you speech pathologists, that's a speech intelligibility term. So you're working on teaching him a new sound. And let's say he has no pharyngeal consonants, so no G's or K's. This is a fantastic toy to work on throaty sounds, his for cut. And for kids who, again, that we're just kind of isolating that sound and we're just doing a lot of uh, phonological awareness building activities, you know, we're saying cut it. You know, and we're really helping him hear that sound so that he's able to incorporate that sound. So it's a, it's a fun way to do auditory bombardment, meaning that he hears it over and over and over and over and over again. So that's a nice way that I will uh, expand that use of the toy. If you have a kid who's not talking at all, let me just say, you do not care what sound he's making. You just want him to say something. So with all of these toys, we've talked mostly about language. That was just a little side trip <laughs> to talk about children who are talking a lot, but sounds are not, he, they're making a lot of errors with their sounds, so they're using a lot of sound substitutions. And so as a speech pathologist, you may have discovered again that he's, you know, almost three, which is developmentally when kids acquire those pharyngeal consonants, those K's and G's. And so you want a fun way to work on it without having to double down and do any Arctic drills. This is a super toy option uh, for you to use, and it's one that I use all the time to target that. The last toy that we're going to talk about in our vocabulary building uh, category here is stringing sets. And these are fantastic for fine motor practice. So if you have a child who's Beyond cause and effect, and let's say that he can't do those toys that we just talked about with keys, or he really is struggling also even with um, puzzles, more complex puzzles, and he just needs so much help with his, uh, coordinating his little hands, stringing sets are a nice way to work on that. And boy, it is boring to try to string something that doesn't have another visual component. So I really love these stringing sets from Alex, and you can get them. There's a farm set and there's a vehicle set that I have linked here on this post. I think there might be one. I think there's some sets also with numbers and letters, but I hate teaching those academic concepts to children who aren't really talking yet. So I stick with these that are more vocabulary-based, that we have some words to teach. And so that's a super option, too. Um, kids just seem to like this set because they're so fun. And I've also used those little sets, too, when I'm expanding to pretend play, which is a category that we are going to talk about in an upcoming show. I think it's next. I think it's next week. I don't have that particular uh, uh, sheet right in front of me. But so many of the toys that we talked about today are going to be in that next little category of introducing early pretend. So that's why these toys will be a super, super investment. And so if you don't have some of these things, it's a nice way to expand. Christmas is coming up, so you'll know what to ask for. And for years and years, uh, our children got me toys at Christmas when they got to be a little bit older, and they thought that was always uh, really, really fun that Mama got toys, too, on Christmas Day. So that's it for vocabulary building activities. I hope you've gleaned some new ideas today. Don't forget to check out the written post at teachmetotalk.com. 
and we will continue next week uh, with this series, Selecting Therapy Activities for Toddlers and Preschoolers. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.